Today on the podcast, we're going to be listening to another verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. This is yours truly speaking at a Calvary Chapel in Berthoud, Colorado. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Welcome back. Uh, this is, like I mentioned in the introduction, this is uh, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. Today we're going to be hearing uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, definitely had a lot of fun giving this, this uh, teaching at the uh, Calvary Chapel. It's actually Calvary birthday. Uh, there was some audio problems right at the beginning that uh, cut off a little bit, probably about three or four minutes of the beginning of this teaching, but uh, you're not missing a whole lot. It was just some review. So anyway, with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. Work that out. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins and helps us work them out of our lives. Okay, so that's sanctification. Our salvation does not depend on that process. But if you are saved, you're going to go through that process. It's going to happen. It's one of those things. It's kind of an evidence of your salvation. You start feeling convicted of your sins. So it's a good thing. So last time we met, we talked about uh, where, where Paul starts his argument in this book. He starts by proving that the Gentiles are lost, okay? All those throughout the world, and we would be in that, that group of Gentiles, of course, we're saved now, but he's looking at the world of Gentiles and he's showing that they are lost. They can't save themselves. Today, he's going to shift focus, and he's going to start looking at uh, the Jews. Okay? There's no anti-Semitism here. He's just, he's just shif- shifting his focus and saying, look, you guys have your sacrifices. You've got your um, uh, Mosaic law, but that can't save you. And so he, he moves through today, and we're going to even explore some of his arguments next time about how even through the law you can't save yourselves. And then he reaches the climax of this argument by saying that nobody can be saved. Apart from Christ, there is no one good. No, not one. Okay? Uh, Awesome. you got to hear the bad news before you get to the good news, right? So you have to understand that we can't do this on our own. And so... uh, you know, that's what we're looking forward to today. He gets into sanctification after that. And uh, I, I won't get into too much of the uh, outline from there because I think by the time we get there, you'll have forgotten it anyway. But uh, Mark had a good idea. I think I'm going to start printing an outline and have it inserted with uh, uh, the notes in the morning, the bulletin. And that way you guys can kind of look at it and follow along. So anyway, starting in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. We, we see last time that, you know, we were talking about the Gentiles, and you could almost imagine a lot of the Jews who were listening to this kind of puffing up a little bit, you know, get them, Paul, go after them. And, uh, but then, right here in verse 1, suddenly he changes focus, and you can see, probably just imagine a few of their jaws dropping open as they're starting to think, wait a minute, 
is he, is he starting to talk about us maybe? You know? And so he starts right off with uh, something that is very confusing here at this day and time in the United States, uh, thanks to political correctness. He starts talking about judging. So uh, verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Huh. Okay, that reminds me there that Matthew, or, or I'm sorry, Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, getting ahead of myself here, has a very similar uh, uh, passage. So I want to look at both of these. We've got to figure out what, what does Jesus and Paul mean by judging somebody? Because here, right now, in this day and time, people love to throw that, that word around, judging, you're judging me. What does that mean? Okay, so Jesus says it this way. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. He says, judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Judge not. That has got to be one of the most quoted two words of the Bible I've ever heard personally. And it's always, almost always, quoted out of context. Nowadays, when you hear somebody say, judge not, or you're judging me, what they're usually getting at is uh, they don't want to hear any type of uh, um, disagreement, that you're not to practice discernment. You're not supposed to disagree with somebody's doctrine. You're not supposed to disagree with their behavior. You're not supposed to disagree uh, with their opinions. You're not supposed to disagree with their sexual orientation or their, their imagined gender, okay? Or you're being judgmental. It reminds me of uh, <laughs> the wise sage, Enigo Montoya. Mon- <laughs> can't even say his name. Enigo Montoya. You keep using that word. I do not think you... <laughs> I don't think it means what you think it means. This is from Princess Bride, okay? If any of you guys haven't seen that movie, it's a classic. Um, you, you killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> but, uh, no, really, that, you know, that is something that we have a problem with. Um, in fact, even when you... Uh, when somebody accuses you of judging them, the funny thing is, they're actually, by their own definition, they're judging you for judging them. <laughs> right? Is that kind of, wait, what's going on here? Uh, even my uh, 10-year-old daughter, Eleanor, she gets this. And she uh, rebuked me once. We were arguing about something. I have no idea. You know, dads are always getting on their girls. And um, she's like, Dad, why are you judging me? It's so wrong to judge and it's like, and so I'm like, well, if it's wrong to judge, why are you judging me? You know, and there was this, this pause. And then a little smile gets on her face, and she's like, oh, yeah? Why are you judging me for judging you for judging me? <laughs> she got it. She totally got it. And she's never used that line on me ever since. But... Um, yeah, oftentimes when people use that on you, they're actually judging you for judging them. And it comes from political correctness, 
And I'm not going to go down this road too far because I forgot my tinfoil hat today. But political correctness, guys, that can be conclusively traced back to Karl Marx. Cultural Marxism. It's where it comes from. And it's the, 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 the um, end goal is to silence opposition. Okay? Is that what Jesus and Paul were talking about? Um, does Jesus or Paul mean by judging that you cannot disagree with somebody's doctrine or disagree with somebody's behavior? If that was the case, just a few verses later, uh, Jesus says not to cast pearls before swine. How are we going to know who the pigs are, right? <laughs> if we can't practice discern- discernment, the swinometer, what is it? You know, baloney detector? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is it? Uh, later on, uh, uh, Jesus even says to beware of false prophets. How do we know who they are if we cannot practice discernment? We've got to be able to look at things, think it through, discern right from wrong, and make a judgment. Okay? In fact, you know, Peter, James, John, Paul, Jude, uh, you name it, they all practiced discernment. They all were able to divide right from wrong in their books. And we should too, okay? So, in fact, um, might come to a shock or as a shock to some of you guys, but there's an entire book of the Bible called Judges. And so, again, you know what I'm saying? When a Christian uses, the, and, and I've actually had Christians use this line on me, judge not. Wait a minute, wait a minute, slow down, slow down. That's not what Jesus was saying. Uh, In fact, Paul even says, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Boom. I mean, liberal Christian just melted and lost their mind. (laughs) So, anyway. what, what, what What is Paul and Jesus trying to say here? Well, if we move on, it gets a little clear. Verse two, Paul says this. He says, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Okay, so we're, we're, we're starting to see this element of hypocrisy, judging hypocritically. Okay, in fact, when you go back to that parallel passage with Jesus, um, saying basically the same thing. Just right before he, he says, judge not, he's uh, talking about hip- hypocrites, okay? And then right after he says that, he's warning against hypocrisy. So Jesus and Paul are saying the same thing. They're saying that we're not to judge hypocritically. I think probably one of the most striking and, and sad examples of that in the Bible is uh, King David. He was up on the roof of his home one day, taking a stroll, whatever he's doing, and he looks down and, you know, he he sees Bathsheba and she's taking a bath, you know, and he's he's looking and he's losing the fight, guys. He's losing the fight. He's staring. Next thing you know, you guys know the story, you know, eight, nine months later, there's this pregnant woman and her husband is one of his good friends, a loyal, good man who is 
defended David's life and defended that cause for a long time. David has that guy killed just to cover up his sin. And then Nathan the prophet shows up and he tells David this, this story. And um, he's talking about a rich man and a poor man. And this poor man, he's got one lamb, okay? And, I mean, he loves this. The Bible says he loves this lamb like a daughter. I mean, the lamb eats off the same plate, you know, and, I mean, you could just imagine. This is like your, your favorite dog or cat. This is your, your, one of your kids, you know? And then there's this rich man who's got cattle and livestock coming out of his ears, okay? And he decides he's going to prepare a big feast for a friend who's come to town, and he takes the poor man's lamb and slaughters that lamb and serves it to his buddy. And David just gets all angry. He's all indignant, and he gets up, you know, and he's like, he's like, that man shall surely die, and he will repay four times what he's done. And Nathan says, you are that man. Right? That's, you know, that's us a lot of times. We judge hypocritically. You know, we get all bent out of shape about somebody lying. Well, what about us? Do we practice deceit? You know, sometimes, maybe. You know, not like the little stuff, like, oh, trying to cover up Christmas gifts with family members and you're pulling shenanigans. (laughs) But, like, there's times when we do it. We're trying to cover stuff up. In fact, Christians play games. We tell some of the truth. We get questioned, and we'll give part of the truth. Well, we're telling the truth. We're just not really telling all the truth, right? It's the junk we pull. Here's a good one. Okay, I have personally done this a couple times in my life. Sat around with a couple Christian friends gossiping about somebody because they're a gossiper. How many how many have done that? Like seriously. Well, you're gossiping about somebody because they're a gossiper. And somewhere in that conversation. <laughs> hey guys, we're gossiping, you know, and you totally get it. Um, we do this stuff all the time. And we need to we need to examine ourselves. When we go into these situations with a discernment, with a judgment, we need to do it tactfully, lovingly, and humbly. You know, humility is, is kind of the biggest key here. Understanding your place before God is a, is a really good thing. And knowing, you know, you look at somebody who's practicing some big sin. I think that might, this, maybe this guy, I don't know. Every time I come over here, this is like the cursed side. Come over here, you know. Anyway, um, it, it, it seems like, oh my goodness, my train just wrecked. Gone. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway, it starts here. <laughs> my notes. Ah, right there. We've got to be humble. We need to look at the situation through God's eyes. How many times have we done the very same sin when you look at somebody and uh, they're guilty of something we need to know, you know, recognize, yeah, you know, I, I shouldn't come down too hard. I want to correct this person. I want to stop this. But I need to also recognize that I, I got issues too. 
I got problems too. It starts here. It starts with the heart. And you know, it's, it's really that simple. That's how you deal with these things. It starts with the heart. So, you know, if you're talking about some false teacher out there, you're not like, you're all that devil, you know. He's, he's a devil up there. He's leading everybody astray. Well, no, I mean, he might be a hireling. We don't know. We don't know his place before God. But it also could be that he truly does love the Lord, but he is confused. And, you know, I guess we've all been confused about a few doctrines ourselves, right? Uh, I'm all about correcting false teachers. Uh, you know, it, I, I don't know if I've told you guys this. I have a podcast, okay? I publish a podcast once a week. I've got like 600 episodes on all types of subjects around apologetics, defense of the faith. I will call people out by name. I won't call them devils. Try not to call them hirelings. But if they're teaching something heretical, I'm going to point it out. And then I'm going to point it to the scripture and say, this is actually what's right. So, you know, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine we've received and avoid them. You know, at least take that teaching and chuck it because it's not biblical. So anyway, um, you know, when we, when, we, uh, when we take this to the world, you know, okay, especially, right, if you're dealing with unbelievers, and you've got a situation where you're trying to correct them, also keep that in mind. Humble, loving, tactful. Go to them. And you know what? If they're an unbeliever, your end goal should be the gospel. Somewhere in there, you got to get to the gospel. Otherwise, what are you doing? You know, what's the point? If you've created some godly-looking moralist who's still bound for hell? So... Keep that in mind as well. You're trying to win them over. So um, anyway, Paul moving on here from this, he says, uh, or do you despise, this is verse four, or you dis- do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is so good. He has been so good to me. He's so good to all of us. You know, he, he does love the sinner, but he hates the sin. Okay? His forbearance, that word basically means to hold back. Uh, it's, it's sometimes used uh, as uh, to describe two warring parties that have a truce, a holding back. And then he is long-suffering. Okay, throughout the Bible, you can find that word over and over and over describing God. He is long-suffering. He's slow to anger. He holds back. We can be the biggest wicked sinners, and sometimes he will hold back and, de- and, and allow us to continue on. Why? Well, his goodness leads us to repentance. Um, in fact, uh, have you guys ever had one of those moments where God just does something for you that is so amazing? You're just like, and you're praising God. You're just in exuberant praise, throwing your arms to the sky. And before you know it, you've gone from praise to sobbing. Because somewhere in there, you realize just how much of a wretch you are, just how much you have thumbed your nose at God, how much you've rebelled, 
And he still loved on you like that. He still did something so amazing that you just, your mind was blown. His goodness sometimes will lead us to, to, to uh, repentance. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've had little personal revivals in my life that were kicked off because God did something so mind-blowing that I was like, I don't deserve this. You did this for me, and I don't deserve this at all. And all of a sudden, boom, turn on a dime, repent, turn around, go the other way. Stop it, (laughs) you know? I suppose there's also times when God's chastisement can also lead us to repentance. Sometimes we need to get spanked, you know? Sometimes, often. Um, but uh, yeah, his kindness leads us to repentance. So going back to where we were with, with this flow of his argument here, Paul is addressing the moralist, these people, or, or the Jew for that example, who, but really it, it can apply to us too. The moralist, the person that is on the high ground with the nose in the air, looking at somebody else, judging them hypocritically, and they don't even realize that God is holding back judgment against them. They're actually treasuring up wrath for themselves by acting this way and having this in their heart as they're looking down at somebody. And um, they don't even realize God's given them time to repent. He's still loving on them. And going on into verse 5, he he, uh, continues, he says, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Impenitent? What's that mean? It's actually kind of simple. It just means unrepentant. Okay? Impenitent, unrepentant. Um, And they're treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath. So now we're starting to talk about that day when people's deeds will be judged. And, and this is where Paul goes into a section that so many people get confused about. <clears throat> I've heard an apologist once say, never read a verse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and your first reaction is, what, what are you saying? What are you, what are you trying to say there? Well, what he's saying is, don't read a verse by itself. We're about to read a section. Um, and really, Paul's flow of this argument is, is actually a little complex, and he doesn't reach the, the uh, conclusion of this particular argument until chapter 3, verse 20. So as you're reading this, this is going to sound like salvation by works, that your salvation hinges on your works. But as we go here, I'll show you how he concludes this argument, okay, so you guys don't go home freaking out. Um, and that's why sometimes, sometimes in these verse-by-verse studies, you gotta have, you're just going to have to skip ahead a little bit just so you can tie things together. Um, verse 6, Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. It, it sounds like he's teaching some type of salvation 
by good works, right? That's what it sounded like. Years back, years back, I went to Disneyland with my family. Victoria was probably about seven or eight. Eleanor was just this little thing. She was just a ball of hair with a little tiny face poking through. <laughs> you guys can, it's like tangled, you know, Rapunzel. It's just all hair and a little face um, in a stroller. But th- th- years back, and before we went, Victoria really wanted to ride all the rides. She did. So we go on to Disneyland's website, and we find out what the height requirements are. Because, you know, there's some vertical challenges in our family. And so <laughs> we pull out a tape measure, you know, and ooh, she's like just a little less than two inches short on all the cool stuff. We're like, well, you know, the, the Bone family, we usually don't take things lying down. So we're like, hmm, how can we cheat the system? And so we go out to the store, and we buy her these, these Vans tennis shoes. They seriously have like two inches on the bottom of them. You know, it's awesome. She's like on stilts, you know, and uh, rode every single ride she wanted to ride. We went through the park, and she got to get on everything. We cheated. Um, as far as God goes, there, are, there is no way for us to measure up. Doesn't matter how many good deeds we add to our souls. See what I did there? That was pretty bad. That's a dad pun right there. <laughs> oh, my wife hates my puns. If she was back here, if she was sitting back there right now, she'd be like. But uh, it doesn't matter how many good deeds we add to ourselves. We can't measure up to the perfect standard that is required of us. Perfect righteousness and perfect sinlessness. You know, we're, ta- we're talking about sins of omission and commission. Not just the bad stuff, like a lack of all the bad things, but a fullness of all the good things. We have no way of measuring up. Uh, it's kind of like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Seriously, I mean, that leads you to the conclusion. You look at that and you're like, I, I can't. I, I just can't do it. I can't measure up. And that's where Paul's going with this argument. In fact, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, uh, I'm sorry, 19... Try that again. Verses 9 through 12, the next verse is 19 and 20. Um, Paul says this, For we have previously charged, previously charged as in what we're talking about today and last week, previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. That's exactly what we're talking about right now. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Not a single one of us can measure up to that perfect standard. And his argument continues to flow in verse 19 and 20. He says this, Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law 
that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay, so the law says to anybody who thinks that they can measure up, shut up. It stops their mouth. (laughs) You can't do it. Okay, and it also shows us what sin really is. Have you guys ever heard the uh, theological term imputed righteousness? You'll hear that thrown around in, in scholarly settings. Imputed righteousness, what does that mean? Well, imputed is to ascribe or attribute something to somebody, to credit something to somebody. Uh, when I was a troublemaking, long-haired hippie kid who, you know, was up to no good and doing all kinds of bad stuff in my life, uh, my dad co-signed on a loan for me, okay? I had, yeah, that was a risk. What was he thinking? <laughs> I had no credit to my name. I had very little money, um, And if I would have gone to the bank by myself to try to get that loan, they would have laughed me right out the front door. Seriously? Um, I mean, I had a small down payment. But my dad went in there, who had awesome credit, and he imputed his credit to my name. With dad's signature, his credit was imputed to me. Is that starting to make sense? We go in before the Father. We have nothing but sin. See, this analogy still falls short because I at least had a down payment. We go before the Father. We have nothing but bad deeds. And and even the Bible says our good works are like filthy rags. Okay? We have nothing. Yeah, yeah. Some of you guys know what that's referring to. (laughs) We have nothing of value. And then Christ comes in the picture and he takes our sin upon himself. So the wrath that we deserve, the punishment we deserve, he takes on himself. And then our lack of righteousness, right? We are are our zero. Zero righteousness. (laughs) The righteousness that we show up with, he credits his righteousness to our name. So, We can measure up, but not on our own account, but because of imputed righteousness, because of what Christ credited to us. That is how we measure up. So, can you be saved by good works? Well, really no, because there's no way to measure up. You can't. I mean, suppose you did live a perfect, sinless life. Perfect and then did every last single decision you ever made in life was perfect righteousness, not only in deed but in thought, then theoretically, but no, because nobody can do it. Christ is the only one that could actually walk this earth sinless. So as, as Christians, we have that. That's what we have received. We not only got forgiveness of sin, we received Christ's righteousness. That's good news. That is very good news. 
Our salvation does not hinge on our righteousness, but Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Ooh, I'm hot. We thank you, Lord, um, for your goodness, your forbearance, your long-suffering. Father, help us to judge rightly. When we practice discernment, when we are uh, judging between right and wrong, Father, help us to do it in humility and love and help us to do it in a way that is correct before you. Lead us in that. We know that we're sinners. We know that we fall short. We know that we have categorically the same issues a lot of times. Please help us to take that into account. And we thank you. We praise you for that imputed righteousness. We thank you that you took our sin upon yourself and that you imputed, you credited to us your righteousness. Well, everybody's got their heads down and their eyes closed. If there is anybody in here that wants their sins taken away and they want that righteousness of Christ, they want to be truly right before God, to have their sins forgiven and to be as if they had never sinned and have that righteousness. Today is that perfect day. Today is, I mean, there is no better day. Today is that day that you can trust in Christ and you can receive his righteousness and, and that forgiveness that comes with it. So if you're here today, pray with me. Uh, Father, we have sinned. I've sinned. I've offended you. I've done all these things that you don't like and probably so many others that I don't even know about. Please forgive me. I, I, I trust you. I trust what you did on that cross, taking the wrath that I deserve upon yourself and dying on my behalf that I might be made righteous before the Father. I, I, I want that for me. Please show me how to live and follow after you with all that I have. Thank you for dying for me in Jesus' name. If anybody here has prayed that, uh, talk to Glenn or Russ or Greg or I, any of us afterward. We would love to bless you, pray for you, and help you along uh, this awesome journey you just started. Well, Father, bless us with a, with a safe uh, drive home today and a wonderful week. Seal the words that are of you to our hearts, Lord, that, they, that we might be able to live out the lessons you had for us today in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing it out loud, declaration.